0: Turn with me though to Colossians as we continue our study of virtual reality and we really get into one of the texts that made me lean towards this title of virtual reality because Paul talks about living for the shadow versus the substance and uh, a lot of virtual reality is where we just live for the shadow. We saw in Colossians chapter 1 there's the reality of being a Christian. You are called out of darkness into light. You are seated with Christ Jesus and he goes from chapters 1, verse 1, all the way down through verse 14. You have redemption. It's already happened. You've been transferred out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of light. That's the reality. And the false teachers were trying to say, you can keep falling back into that domain of darkness and you can keep losing your salvation. Paul's like, no, it's done. The false teachers also really liked to think that knowledge made them better than others. And so. Paul tells us about the preeminence of Christ, the reality that Christ is all and in all. Let's commit ourselves to God, though, and study his word now. God, you are great. And uh, singing was so fun today. Thank you. Thank you for those who sang out, uh, ministered to me. Thank you for these songs that were picked. Thank you for Kathy playing, for Josiah leading. What a privilege it is to work together for the faith of the gospel. Now open our eyes to see from your word what we need to see. Humble our hearts to be ready to receive it and then move our feet to do something. It's really easy to hear a sermon and say, wow, that was good or that was bad or it was okay. But I pray that we would each walk away with at least one thing to take away and to do this week from it. Be glorified, God. Draw someone to yourself even today. May we see someone come to you as their Savior through the services this year. In Jesus' name, amen. Believer, beware is the title of today's message, and I admit that is not original with me, yet it kind of, it, it covers perfectly the audience who is believers, and so today I'm not speaking to those who are, I'm speaking to those who are children of God, and beware, the message is that there are dangers ahead of you. Now, each person here, if you've been out, you've seen road signs sometimes, and we don't always listen to road signs uh, I see this thing called a speed limit sign every once in a while, and I will be honest, I, I don't always do the exact number that's on there. Sometimes I do a lot less. You know, that's what I mean by that. Um, my brother, though, at one time was going to visit some family. We were on vacation, going to visit some, some friends, and he saw this sign that said road closed. And he's like, nah, it probably isn't closed. We're fine. And his friends had told him, it's not closed, you can get through, don't worry about it. So he went around the road closed sign and he drove and then all of a sudden the car dropped down where all the concrete had been taken away and he was in a foot of sand. And he got stuck. He ignored a road sign and it cost him. And today there are signs that we see. To watch out for. And the Colossian church was a small-town church, and they were doing well. And listen, whenever a church does well, Satan seeks to undermine the ministry and the ministers. Every time. Like a lion, he sometimes attacks in an extremely blatant way where he's just in your face, tempting you to do what is wrong. And sometimes it's like this. You see what that is? It's a water slide baptism, right? There we go. Where it's like, hey, let's do baptisms with water slides. And anyone with even a sliver of theology says, no, that is not what the baptism is about. To be clear, you might recognize Stephen Furtick in there. This is from the Babylon Bee. This is not real. He did not actually do this in his church. But sometimes we just have these outright things that you're like, that is definitely not going to happen. I heard about a church. They're building a new addition. They'd had a lot of people come to Christ as their Savior. And one of the the people came up and said, hey, why don't we have a smoking section in the church? And the pastor's like, no, we're not going to encourage that in the church. We're not going to do that. But more often than not, Satan is subtle. He's not in your face. He's very subtle. Very subtle. Where Satan cannot destroy Christ, he will seek to distract us from Christ. And so there are three warnings here in this text. Warning number one is let no one judge you. I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 2. This is page 984 if you're following along in a black chair Bible in front of you. 984. It says in verse 16, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a sabbath and you're like what in the world is that talking about that's all jewish law they had these new moons that they celebrated they had festivals that they celebrated every single year and if you worked on the sabbath you could get killed if you worked on these days you could get killed and so these people were trying to come back and say let's let's have jesus plus our old religion paul says let no one pass judgment on you regarding those things These, verse 17, are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels, going on in detail about visions and puffed up without reason in his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished, knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you are still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Verse 21, don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Referring to all these things that perish as they are used. Reference to the food laws there. According to human precepts and teachings, these, notice this, Christian, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion or sometimes they should say will worship self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh let no one judge you or you could say don't be controlled by what people think of you why should you not be controlled by what by what people think of you first reason because god has accepted you if you're a believer and again I'm talking to believers here if you're a believer God has accepted you. Verse 16 says therefore let no one pass judgment on you in question of food and drink or with regard, regard to festival or the new moon or sabbath. Don't let him pass judgment on you because God has accepted you. When you judge others or when others judge you you place yourself above the law. And James chapter 4 oops James chapter 4 verse 11 says the one who speaks against a brother Or judges his brother, speaks evil against the law, and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Uh, Just the other day I saw a clip on Facebook of a guy driving a Lamborghini, and a cop comes up to him and says, "Um, Sir, I am giving you a citation. I usually give a warning, but you are doing 90 in a 25. And so you're getting a citation for going that fast. And the guy said this. He goes, I run this county. Do you know who I am? I run this county. He was like the county supervisor whatever. What is he trying to say there? I'm above the law. (laughs) And the cop's like, great. (laughs) Here's your ticket. (laughs) Good luck. A good county supervisor would never say that, right? Because they recognize they are under the law. And when we act as judges of other people, we set ourselves above the law. Listen, there's only one lawgiver and judge, and his name is Jesus Christ. He is the one who is able to save and to destroy. It is appointed unto man to die once, and after that, the what? The judgment. Okay? Normally, that would scare us. But as a child of God, we already know the outcome of that day, don't we? You already know the outcome. John 5, 24 said, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me will have eternal life. Is that what that translation says? No. Get any translation you have. If it says will have eternal life, throw it out. (laughs) That is a bet. Has eternal life. Right now. And they do not come into judgment, but they have passed from death to life. Why? The judgment's already fallen on Christ. The believer does not look forward to his death and say, I wonder what's going to happen. The believer anticipates. Listen, the believer can look forward to Judgment Day because he already knows the outcome. You already know the outcome. (sighs) Which reminds me of one of my favorite outcomes ever in the history of my life. The final 15 seconds of Game 7, 2016. It's the bottom of the 10th. The Cubs are in the World Series. My team is in the World Series. I had gone to the Stephen Gales and watched all the game. Now we're in, I think it was like the sixth hour of the game. I'm laying on my couch. It's about midnight. I am on pins and needles. I am not sleeping. It is down to two outs. Guy gets up. Gets ready to hit the ball. The pitch is thrown. A ball is hit. It's a ground ball in between the pitcher and the third baseman. It's a rough one to grab. He feels it. He throws it to Anthony Rizzo, and... I'm the only Cubs fan. All right, anyway. Cubs win the World Series. Now, if you didn't know, we had a curse from a goat and a thing that happened. and uh, Anyway, we broke the curse. There is... That is the reaction. There's the guy who hit... The wonderful hit. They got him out. Cubs win the World Series. I went back and watched that final 15 seconds. And you know what? I had no stress, only excitement. Why? I knew the outcome. Believer, anyone who is in Christ knows the outcome of his judgment on the day of judgment. And that's why I was just at Pastor Gonerman's funeral. And he would he kept looking forward to his death. Why? He knew the outcome. And you can too. Let no one pass judgment on you because God has accepted you. Secondly, because what is inside matters more than what is outside verse 16b says regarding festival, new moon, or Sabbath, all these things were outside works that they would take part in. After Jesus rose from the dead, the early church struggled with letting go of the old Jewish laws. That's all that they had known for like 2,000 years. Peter had to, he needed a dream to get him to even witness to Gentiles. And even after Paul Even after that, Paul had to confront him to the face because Peter was with Gentiles, and then some Jews came in, and Peter's like, Oh, whoops, I shouldn't be with these bad guys, these these people that are different from us. And Paul had to confront him. Here's a quote for you. God says that all foods may be eaten, since they are created to be received with thanksgiving by those who know the truth. The teaching that forbids this taught is taught by demons, if you look up 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 3. And Christ has disarmed those demons. As a 21st century Christian, it's easy for our eyes to glaze over when the law is talked about. Uh, Our freezers are full of bacon, and so we have no problem with bacon. I, I actually had some great bacon yesterday and still have some in the fridge. But we wear clothes with different fabrics, and we easily consider these Christians to be simpletons, yet... Is the temptation to worry more about what's on the outside than the inside still present in our day? Sure is. Do you ever overthink what you're going to wear to church? No. <laughs> Good. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Man looks on the outside, so when you care a lot about what other people think, you will care a lot about that too. And God says, what is inside matters more than what is outside. Have you ever met someone who always looked perfect in church and then you see them at home working and you're like, is that the same person? What in the world is, is happening with that person? Uh, being around in town sometimes people say, oh, so-and-so goes to your church, right? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> what are you, what's your experience with them, Ben? <laughs> Let me check that first. Because over and over again, you'll hear people say, I don't believe in God because Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. What's inside matters more than what is outside. Even my, my nephew who's not following the Lord right now, but he posted a picture of all these people in church with their suits and ties. And there's a guy sitting there covered in tattoos. And he's in like a leather jacket. And, and, he, and he's sitting there. And each one of them has like this thought above their head that says, Oh, what a wicked sinner. Oh, I bet he hates the Lord. And, and he's got his Bible open. and He says, God, my heart is yours. And obviously it's capturing that picture of what is inside matters more than what is outside third reason is because you don't need the shadow when you have the substance you don't need the shadow when you have the substance you see the law was a shadow turn with me and turn with me to hebrews chapter. well yeah hebrews chapter 10 look at hebrews chapter 10. We're going to come back to this a little bit, but the law was just a shadow. It was meant to point to Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, this is page 1006 in your Bible. And all that we're doing here, when I, when I go to this text, is what we're doing is we're interpreting Scripture with Scripture. When it talks about a shadow, what does it mean? Is there any Scripture that helps us understand what this shadow is? And this is page 1006, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, says, since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form or the substance of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year make perfect those who draw near. If you go back and if you're reading through your Bible, you get to Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and you're just like, Oh my goodness, you know, do this, don't do this, wear these clothes, perform it in this way, kill this animal. If you did this sin, you got to kill this bird or offer this offering. You're like, what is happening? All this is just a shadow pointing to the ultimate sacrifice, the substance, which was Christ. And so the law was just a shadow. In fact, the next one here is the priesthood. Oh, go to the next slide. The priesthood was a shadow. Stay with me in Hebrews. Go to, over to Hebrews chapter 8 which if you're ever wondering kind of what the Old Testament is trying to say um, to a New Testament believer, read the book of Hebrews several times because it's basically the explanation of the Old Testament to a New Testament believer. Hebrews chapter 8, verses 5 and 6, it's page 1005. It says, they, talking about the priesthood, serve a copy and a shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see to it that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is much more excellent than the old as the covenant that he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. If you look at chapter 9, verse 9, on the next page there, it says, verse 8, by this the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet opened as long as the first section of the tabernacle is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the consciences of the worshiper, but deal only with food and drink and various washings and regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. So all the Old Testament sacrifices were supposed to be reformed. What are they reformed into verse 11 when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands that is not of this creation. He entered once for all into the holy places not by the means of blood and goats of goats and calves but by the means of his own blood thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more? There's the substance. Shadow is in verse 13. Substance, verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Listen, a shadow can scare, but it can never strengthen. Am I right you ever been walking along I'd say in a dark alley but we're in St. Ansker, so there's really not how many dark alleys to go but you see a shadow what is it this is something that all you ladies I'm sorry this is just harder for you guys um, just the other night I was walking around in a black sweatshirt with a black <laughs> coat on in the middle of the night I'm like I'd probably be pretty creepy to any person who's out walking, except for a dude, they're like, "Oh, you just out for a walk." But oftentimes, there's this. Oh, I see a shadow, and I am afraid. But when's the last time a shadow has ever strengthened anyone? How much can a shadow pick up? Nothing. And how I know is because you know some when you're walking behind your kids, maybe I'm the only one who does this, but it's towards sunset and you're walking behind your kids and you go, Ur! you know, and you have like your hands in a shadow that's around them as they're on their bike. But it does nothing. My daughter goes to fall off the bike and my shadow catches her. She's crying. Why? My shadow did nothing. Like my hand's there, it does nothing. The law was a shadow. And that's why if, you ever, if you're ever talking to someone and they, they take you to the Old Testament and they want to demand the, old, the, the law on you, they say, you, you have to do this law. You say, this is pointing to Christ, and it is fulfilled in Christ. And if I am honoring God, if I am following Christ, then I am fulfilling the law because love is the fulfillment of the law. You remember that, Romans 13? owe no one anything except for to love and good works because love is the fulfillment of the law the law was just a shadow and I was encouraged that you can even see that in the Old Testament if you're reading through the Bible with the plan that we have in the back I encourage that you would have read Leviticus 20 and uh, I don't remember what day that was but even today and on Leviticus 20 it says I the Lord make you holy which is in the middle of all his laws even in the Old Testament, God was saying, all these laws are not what make you holy. I'm the one who makes you holy. It's just a shadow. Hebrews 13, we're going to come back to this. Hebrews 13, 9 says, Don't be led astray, astray by diverse and strange teachings, for it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, and not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. So let no one judge you. Secondly, let no one steal your reward. Verses 18 and 19, back in Colossians chapter 2, page 984. It says, and let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and the worship of angels going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind and not holding on to Christ. Disqualify means to act as an umpire against. To throw, have you ever uh, watched a game where the umpire was not all that honest and you thought he was a little bit biased? How'd that make you feel? I actually went back and I... I watched some of Caitlin Clark's highlights. If you don't know, Caitlin Clark is a player for the Iowa Hawkeyes, and she just beat the ladies' NCAA scoring points as a junior, right? All right. I think she's still a junior. There was a shot. She's playing against the Michigan um, Spartans. 73 73 is the score. They get it to Caitlin Clark, and she releases it (laughs) literally. Like, it's. Right here out of her hand, and the buzzer goes off. And she she drains it. And you know, the crowd goes wild. And they had to call the um the the, the rest together to look at this. Now imagine if that rest said, Nope, doesn't count. Everyone would have been mad. But that's what this idea of steal your reward. It means act as an umpire against that they would take away that point. That she got disqualify really relates to missing the rewards of the beam of seed of Christ. No one can steal your salvation. Okay, be clear on that. No one can touch your salvation, but they can make you ineffective for Christ. They can steal your rewards because of what they challenge you to do. We're told that we're in a race that all runners run, but we only one receives the prize. So we got to run in such a way that we may obtain it. Second or Corinthians nine. 24 and 25 how do they steal this they steal your confidence that's one of the first things they do is they steal your confidence and i think they do this i'm going to just go ahead and put these all up there at the same time do we have all three of them let's see okay yeah here we go they steal your confidence by saying three things you're not holy enough Ascetism was the severe discipline of the body, and it was, it was taking away everything. You know, you're only allowed to drive a certain color vehicle, and you can't have any nice clothes, and, and you're not holy enough, so you need asceticism. And then they say, you're not humble enough. Do you know this? I didn't realize this. The worship of angels, the idea for the false teachers was that God is so holy that we are going to humble ourselves and we're going to go through all these intermediaries. We're going to go through all these angels to try to get to him because we recognize that God is holy and so we got we to go through these lesser beings. And that's what they would tell people. And this fulfills Romans one twenty five, where God says they worship and serve the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. God explicitly condemns worship of angels in Exodus in the Ten Commandments, and true angels of God will never receive worship. If you go to Revelation chapter 19 sometime, John falls down before the angel that's giving him the, giving him the scroll, and the angel says, Stand up, you idiot! That's my translation. <laughs> it's like, Dude, I'm just like you. You don't worship me. You worship God. Twice that happens in Revelation chapter 19 and Revelation 22. True angels of God never receive worship. And so even if you just take angels for messengers, watch, watch, just watch for pastors who live to be worshipped. should be a re- big red flag. Because we're supposed to do all things to the glory of God. It does not mean that there are not pastors who are honored. Um, I think Dr. John MacArthur has proven that he is an honorable pastor. He's faithfully served the Lord for 50-plus years in the same church. Um, David Jeremiah, faithfully served the Lord for years. Warren Wiersbe, he's dead now, faithfully served the Lord. You can honor them. Don't worship them. The worship of angels, one commentator says, involved a show of humility and affection of superior reverence for God as shown in the reluctance to attempt to approach God other than indirectly. In effect, they were saying God is so holy that we have no right as sinners to think that we can come directly to him. But we do not honor God as holy when we disobey him because he has said, let us come boldly to the throne room of grace. Right? We sing about that in our song. We come boldly to the throne room of grace. One commentary said, humility is a vice with heathen moralists, but a virtue with Christian apostles. Third thing they say is you're not experienced enough. This one is actually really popular in our day and age. They're going on in detail about visions. The King James says, Intruding into things that he hath not seen. And in the best text, it does not have that not there. So intruding in, studying into the things that he has seen or searching into the experiences he has had. Here, talked to someone who lives, who judges their spiritual life more off of the experiences they've had than what the word of God says. And you, f- you sometimes feel really left out, where you're like, "Man, I, I wish my devotions were like that." And they talk about all these experiences, and I, I had this vision, and I, and I had this, this, this revelation. And Paul actually says, "These people are holding on to a shadow, looking at their experiences over the Word of God." And if they say, "You're not experienced enough. If you're a good Christian, you would have." All of these things I read, and I shared this with you guys already, I think. But I read in in our <laughs> the the Baptist Bulletin, which is like the GARBC's main printing, and there was a what do you call a thing in a magazine? An article. An article. <laughs> there was an article. Anyway. There's an article in there about 15 emotions that true believers have. I'm like, what? What happens to the person who reads that and says, "I don't have that. I'm an unbeliever." And he kept going back to, "This is true believers have this. True believers have this. True, you know what true believers have? Faith in Jesus Christ for their eternal salvation. (laughs) That's what they have." Alright? For God's love loved the world, He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ will not perish, but has eternal life. It does not have, whosoever does not have love, of the, love going out, serving, like, it doesn't have that list. I was disappointed by that article if you couldn't tell. But anyway, we're going to move on. It says here that it is according to their sensuous mind. This mind cannot please God. So stop and think about that. The religion that was posing as a deeper religion, one that went beyond the basics, a class above the rest. Whoever was least in the kingdom of God was greater than those people because nothing they did was pleasing to God. It was self-focused and it was fleshly. And if you're a part of the revitalization weekend in January, we put ourselves into different categories and we desire all people, if you open up your bulletin, if you have your bulletin there, look there. You see, next steps of salvation. I desire that every single one of you grow in your walk with God. Every one of you. I want you to become a faithful follower of Christ, serving him well, loving him well and ministering to others. I want you to grow. But if you are growing and you say, "Ooh, I'm down here at training. I'm much better than the serving and members and baptism. I'm I'm so much better." No. There is no looking down on each other. Now you may be farther along than someone else, but we don't look down and think that we can't be ministered to you by someone who is in a different stage in their walk with Christ. I gotta tell you a story because I think stories help us understand scripture. There was a, a church and they kept on trying to do some new things and there was one lady in the church that every time someone came up with an idea that she didn't like, you know what she'd say? Oh, that makes me stumble. And if you know your Bibles, Romans 14 or 15 says, you know, that we're supposed to do everything for love and not make a brother or sister stumble. So the church wouldn't do it. And uh, the pastor was super frustrated, and he reached out to a pastor friend of his. He said, what do I do? You know, every time I try to do any change, this lady's like, oh, that makes me stumble, and we just don't do it. (laughs) And the pastor friend of his said, well, maybe you should tell her she needs to learn how to walk. (laughs) If she's stumbling over all these things. So you don't, you, you don't live based off of the most immature believer. Yet you also don't look down on other people because this, you're not experienced enough. That's ridiculous. I heard, man alive, I got all the stories coming. I heard of the guy who, uh, he was in a church that my brother was a part of. And he did not believe that he could be, that he could grow with anyone who is less spiritual than him so he couldn't have a conversation with just anyone it had to be someone who's more spiritual than him well guess what what happens when you become the most spiritual in your mind that's the kind of a lonely place to be the bible tells us love one another encourage one another exhort one another and get on with the sermon i think that's in there somewhere they steal your growth if you remember Colossians chapter 1 verse 6 it says the gospel has been presented to you and it's bearing fruit and increasing asceticism is the key characteristic of the end times religion and you notice that they they insist on it they're confident that moralism is the key to greater knowledge and this is why it's related to Gnosticism which comes from the Greek word gnosis or knowledge this knowledge they claimed was the key to growth but if you look here we see that God is the source of growth. 1 Corinthians 3.6. I planted a polis water, but God gave the growth. If you want to grow, God is the source of growth. Secondly, knowledge of him is the goal of growth. Colossians 1.10. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. If you are growing as a Christian, you are growing in your understanding of who God is and your love for God. It's not just your you're not doing these 10 things. It's you actually are growing in your understanding of who God is and your love for him. And then you have the next one. God's glory is the result of growth. Second Peter 3.18 says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory both now and forever, and for all eternity. Amen. Uh, put this quote up there. This was an interesting thing to me. We live in a hyper-rationalistic age. And people will say, give me an answer, give me an answer, give me an answer. Almost like if we just have an answer to every one of our questions, then we're growing in godliness. Eugene Peterson, he's passed away, but he was a, a critical thinker. And he said, one of the things I'm trying to counter is rationalism. Rationalism is the reduction of reality to what you can describe or account for. Mystery is not a fancy or spiritual word for ignorance that we can conquer by more knowledge, nor does it designate a secrecy that we can penetrate by painstaking search. Ignorance and mystery are not synonyms. Mystery is not the absence of meaning, but the presence of more meaning than we can comprehend. And I'll tell you, sometimes as a pastor, I get up here and I deal with text and I go, (laughs) if you open the word of God, there will be times where you look at the text and you go, it's beyond me. If you've read Deuteronomy, where uh, where God says the secret things belong to the Lord, so you can do all the study in the world. Actually, I actually love that fact. If you just stop and logically think about it, how many millions of people are there who are reading the Word of God regularly, studying the Word of God regularly, yet we haven't plumbed the depths of Scripture for hundreds of years do you think that there's more depth in scripture maybe than we can comprehend yeah so why I say that is because you go to witness to someone you're like oh what if they ask me a question I don't know you know what you should do you say I don't know I'll look that up and get back to you when I can't there's mystery beyond us Another commentator says the distinctive feature of all heretical sex within Christendom is total or partial denial of the divine human person of Christ and his redemptive death and bodily resurre- resurrection. The intellectual legalistic teachings at Colossae denied first that Christ alone was head of the body, the church. Second, that Christ alone is the one that nourishes the body. Third, that Christ unites the church. Fourth, that Christ increases the church. And so there has to be a connection to the head. Now, for the sake of time, I'm actually going to stop us here. We're going we're gonna to get to the application. But do you know what happens when part of your body is not reacting well with your head? I had a, a friend, and we used, to, we used to play this game, Bloody Knuckles. Anyone ever <laughs> played that? <laughs> it's fun the things you do at junior boys but anyway um, you would take and uh, there was one or two ways to play it you would either just try to hit each other's knuckles until they were bloody and whoever whoever flinched or moved their arm first lost so basically the one who lost the most skin won, which just shows you the intelligence of a junior boy or you would hit your hand against a wall or like usually concrete and whoever quit first lost bloody knuckles there was a friend of mine. His name was Gunner. Gunner had no feeling in his arm. And so we would do that or the one where, you know, you hold each other's, <laughs> Sounds so stupid uh, You hold You hold each other's hand and you slap the hand as hard as you can, you know, you just keep slapping. He could do it all day long. You know, his, his hand's just red with welts and he's just laughing at you. Why? There's no connection to the head. What am I, where's the spiritual connection coming here? You will not grow if you're not connected to Christ. If you come to a church where they say, connect to this rule, connect to this doctrine, connect to this, and it's not Christ, it is not a church that's going to lead you to grow. It's not a church that's going to challenge you to grow. There must be a connection to Christ. Now I'll get to one that's a little less violent. If you remember when you first met your spouse, and uh, it, it depends on where you grew up. But I went to camp. At camp, there's no PDA, no public display of affection. But every once in a while in chapel, your shoulder might brush up against a girl. <sighs> and I'll tell you what, when I sat with Emily, I just going to lean over a little bit and just barely touch. Why in the world did that mean something? Because what I could feel on my shoulder was connected to my mind. See where I'm going with this? That would mean nothing if it wasn't connected to the head. Christ is called the head of the body. Do you know one of the reasons why we practice church discipline? Because it shows that a person is disconnecting themselves from the head of Christ. from, From Christ. When you're living in sin and not repenting, there's a disconnect. The feeling is no longer there so there has to be a connection to christ and this is all sorts of different things maybe you have the feeling of wrapping your hands around the steering wheel of the car as you took your first ever drive by yourself i still remember that i didn't care what car i was driving i was driving a ford Taurus. it was red it was ugly as i all get out but i remember getting behind that wheel and my dad got out Or the smell of a car, a new car, or a clean car. Maybe it's the sight of your best friend. Each of these are sensations, and they're only possible when there's a connection to the brain. It says in our text, look at this. Not holding Verse 19, not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, every single believer, every person, is Nourished and they are knit together through its joints and ligaments, and they grow with the growth that is from God. I think our church will be the most unified when we are connected to Christ. And let me say why. We will never, and if you, if you think every single person in here loves to sing hymns, that is their pinnacle of praise, you're wrong. If you think every single person here loves to sing new songs, that is their pinnacle of praise, you're wrong. So we can't unite around just music. If you think every single person loves the ESV, you're wrong. If you think every single person loves the King James, you're wrong. So I guess we can't unite around translations. If you think every single person loves to wear a suit and tie, you're definitely wrong. <laughs> oh, man, no, no thank you. But if you think everyone hates wearing a suit and tie, you know what else? You're wrong. But you know what we can all get behind? Christ. Now, I'm not sure how I'm going to transition just to the application, so let's just, let's just look there. Uh, we'll come back and we'll finish up the last point next week. Application. Ask a believer, do you know what Hebrews 13, 9 says? So this week, sometime, ask a believer do you know what hebrews 13 9 says says it's good for you to be strengthened by grace and i want you to encourage believers to be strengthened by grace if you have an opportunity ask an unbeliever how many of the ten commandments do you know because the law is a shadow that's supposed to point towards who christ so if we talk about the shadow how easy is it to get to christ do you want to know how this is probably going to happen so if any of the people are watching who i'm going to do this to this week i love you and i'm coming for you (laughs) because i love you Okay, I come up to you and I say, Ben, how many of the Ten Commandments do you know? Okay, Ben, maybe quotes for me, don't lust. Okay, or don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie. He's got three out of the ten. And I can go on to don't say OMG. That's blasphemy. It's taking God's name in vain. All right, now I'm going to ask him, Ben, if everyone in the world was judged just based off the Ten Commandments, what percent do you think would end up in heaven? None. Okay, do you see what I'm doing? I'm not attacking him. He'd say zero. I'd say, okay, so what on earth are we going to do? How do we get to heaven? There's got to be a way that is the same way for all. If all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, then there's got to be a same way for all to be saved. And what is it? Christ. Christ died for all. Boom. I can get to the gospel. See that? Simple question. And, uh, The people at the bank and Casey's are like, oh, boy, here he comes again. (laughs) But you can have this conversation. Literally, you can get from that question to the gospel in under a minute. You can. Small group questions. If you're not in a small group, I would love to have you join our small group tomorrow night. We're meeting at 6 o'clock here. Uh, Let me know if you don't have a small group to come to. I'd love to have you join us. We also have small groups Sunday night. Denny and Ann are not here, but their group is still meeting Roy leads one as well, but Roy and Denny and Ann's is pretty full. So if you have time, you can come tomorrow. Um, these are an awesome time for us to work through what, how, what does it look like to live this out. And it's also a great time to ask these questions. And if you've had an opportunity, because you might have an opportunity even today to ask some of those questions. All right, let's close in prayer. God, what, what a joy that we have this substance which is Christ. And if there's anyone here today, God, and they're holding to a shadow, I'm a good person. Help them to release that today. To call upon the name of the Lord. Say, God, forgive me of my sins. I know that my sin separates me from you, and if you judge me based just off the Ten Commandments, I am headed for hell. Then help them to by faith trust that Christ died for them. And to place their faith in him because if with Christ we died, we died to sin, he killed it for us. Helped them to trust in Jesus Christ and recognize that all who believe in him will not perish but have eternal life and to be born again right now. But if we know you, God, if we're already a believer, I pray that today's been just a strengthening time for our faith. In Jesus' name, amen.